What a great Shabbat we have uh, with us. We're celebrating two benot mitzvah from two lovely families. We had an ufruf just a few minutes ago. We're commemorating the yort site of uh, a beloved member of our congregation, Bernie Weinflash, and our tradition tells us that when someone has a full life, commemorating the yort site is always a time of celebration in our tradition. And for me, in addition to all of those great things, I have another blessing, the Shabbat, and that my mom is with us for this Shabbat, which I don't get every Shabbos. But she wasn't supposed to be with us this Shabbat. In fact, uh, she was supposed to be at a hospital in Manhattan this Shabbos. My mom is in town. She lives in Florida. She came up here for a few weeks because she was planning on getting a new knee, a brand new shiny spanking knee because her old knee just wasn't doing so well. So she was scheduled to be at the hospital for special surgery, came up for all of the preoperative responsibilities, all the things that's going to happen. And yesterday morning, we left our house around 5 o'clock in the morning to drive to the hospital. She goes to the hospital. I go with her. We do all the pre-op things. She's in her gown. She's in her room. They do all the tests and the hookups and all these things. And it's a few minutes before they're going to wheel her into the operating room, and she's going to get this new knee. Now, thank God I've never had surgery, and I don't know what this is like, and I can't imagine what it is to go through a big operation, but it's got to be scary. There's got to be all types of feelings and emotions and preparedness and the rehab and worries and concerns. And all of these things are probably going through my mom's mind, and she's keeping incredibly calm, and the physician comes in who's a wonderful, sweet doctor, and he looks at my mom's knee, and my mom has a small scab, a small cut on her knee, about the size of half a penny. And the doctor looks at it and looks at it again and looks at it again and says, Mrs. Kirshner, I'm sorry, but we can't do your surgery today. And she says, what? I came up from Florida, scheduled my surgery, we have a rehab place, all these things. Very polite and calm, I, gotta, I give her incredible credit. He says, where the scab is is too close to the incision, and it could cause a serious infection, and it could be really bad. It could be bad for the knee, it could be bad for you, it could make you wheelchair bound for up to six months, we could have to replace the whole knee again. We, we can't do it. And I'm incredibly sorry to do this. So my mother, like an incredible champion, says, I understand, I appreciate it, I'm gonna look after this wound, and the physician said it should be three to four weeks till the wound returns to make the knee pristine so that I can do the surgery and we will fit you into our schedule to make that happen. She said, okay, she got dressed. We went out to breakfast and we said this incredible line from Proverbs. The line goes as follows. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Or as they say in Yiddish, man plocht and God Lacht, right? Man plans and God laughs. Isn't that life? Here we were, our entire family and my poor mom, scheduling so much of a very active and involved life on this procedure that was going to happen on this day and everything that was going to happen. And because of a small, tiny, insignificant cut, half the size of a penny, it all gets changed and postponed. And all we could think of is this line, man plans and God laughs. How many times in all of our lives has such an occurrence happened? Maybe not with the drama that I just painted it, but all of us have moments where we make plans and we make details and something happens and it doesn't go as we had wished. 
whether it's a vacation that we had saved up for and a loved one gets sick, or a family trip to Israel and a war breaks out, or a host of other activities, we know that these words from Proverbs are indeed prophetic to each and every one of our lives. Man plans and God laughs. And really, life is about not plan A, but plan B. Plan B are the plans that you don't prepare for as much, that you don't consider and put as much time and thoughtfulness into, but normally leads us down a path that changes and alters so many pieces of our lives that we don't even take into account, all because of a plan B. One of the very first plan Bs we have is in the parsha today that we read, and often it is overlooked. It's the story of Abraham, who was told, as we heard multiple times already today, Go from your land, your father's land, your birthland, to a land that I will show you. And Abraham says to his wife, Honey, pack up the stuff, call the moving company, we're going, we're moving on up to Canaan. We're going to the Holy Land. And he gets to Canaan, and what do you think the first thing he's going to do is? He gets to this new land, passing Shechem, and he gets there, and you would think he's going to do all the things that any of us do when we join a new community. He's going to become a member of the local equinox. He's going to find out where the grocery store is. He's going to make an appointment to become involved in the federation, in the JCC, and do everything that we can do to establish ourselves in the community, right? That's what we would expect from Abraham. But what does he do as soon as he gets to this land, this birth land, this promised land, the land that will be flowing with milk and honey, of which he picked up his entire family and went to go establish? He's there not even a modicum of time worth mentioning in the Bible. And the first thing Abraham does is he leaves. He goes to Egypt. I'm not making this up. It's in the book we read today. He picks up and goes to Egypt as soon as he gets to Canaan. Why? Because he gets to this land flowing with milk and honey where he thinks everything is going to be great on the Upper East Side. And instead, he's hungry. There's a famine in the land. And he gets there in the first week and he says, there's no food here, there's no equinox, there's nowhere to be a part of, I have to leave. And he executes plan B. Plan B that was not part of the plan, not part of the thought process, not part of a consideration. He gets to this new land and he says, I have to go. And he finds himself in Egypt. And when he gets to Egypt, he starts plan A. What's his plan A? He turns to his wife, Sarah, and he says, Hey, Sarah, I have a good problem, Sarah. I overmarried. You are so beautiful, and you're so sweet, and so attractive, that every Egyptian is going to see you, and they're going to want you, and they're going to want to be with you, and that's going to make me a marked man. They're going to kill me so that they can have you. This is a conundrum. I don't want that to happen. So here's our plan, Sarah. Our plan is if anyone asks, you're not my wife. You're my sister. Because then you'll be permitted to them. And they're not going to kill me because I don't want to die. And Sarah says, okay. And they go on their merry way. And sure enough, just as he predicted, so many people say to him, wow, your wife, your, your sister, she's beautiful, just beautiful. And then one of the kings has his way with Sarah, not against her will because it's a sister, and then finds out that it's not his sister, but indeed his wife. 
And what was Abraham sure was going to happen in his plan A? That he would be killed. And instead, the king says to him, what's with you? How dare you tell me this is your sister when it's actually your wife? How can you trick me like that? I feel horrible. I feel guilty. He says, you take your wife, you be with her. And he gives him all types of riches for the encounter in which he had that he didn't want to have. So even the plan A that Abraham had mapped out in his head didn't go as he had wished. And instead of it going in a negative way, he actually found the benevolence and the understanding of the people around him. And perhaps he should have come in. And instead of putting his wife in such a horrible position, he could have said, you're my wife and I'll stand by your side. Because look how the people responded with compassion and empathy and understanding and a sense of even envy, but without wanting to kill him whatsoever. Every single one of us in life are given opportunities where we have to have a plan B, sometimes on the ready and sometimes not. I'm going to share two quick stories with you, one about someone who didn't have a plan B and how it created a real conundrum for me and for them as well, and another one about how plan B really was indeed a blessing. The first was a young woman who came to see me not oh so long ago who had wished to become part of the Jewish people. She wanted to convert to Judaism because her fiancé was Jewish and she thought it would smooth the path of the relationship between her and her future in-laws and her and her husband-to-be. They had been together for two and a half years and they were getting married in four months and she had just decided she wanted to convert now as opposed to any other time on her path. I spent time and I talked to her and she indeed was lovely but she has a very busy schedule and somewhat reluctant about this commitment, commitment of becoming Jewish in which I refer to, And I said to her, well, I wish you well, and I only want blessings upon you. After talking to you, I realized I don't think you have the time in this short window of four months to go through a formal conversion before the wedding. If you choose to go through a formal conversion with me as your sponsor, I'd be more than happy to sit with you, to talk with you, to learn with you through this process. You can get married through whatever means you choose to. And then after you become Jewish and part of our faith without a fire to our feet we can again renew your vows with your partner through a Jewish marriage. In this way, it gives us more time to get to that process. She said, well, that will defeat its purpose because my in-laws really want a Jewish marriage. And I said, well, I, I apologize to you, and perhaps there are other rabbis that can better accommodate your needs, but I don't think I'm your man. She said to me, but rabbi, I have no other place to go. Meaning, she had put all of her faith in one address without a plan B. And while indeed I was stuck in this precarious situation of wanting to be embracing and welcoming of every single person who knocks on our door who is thirsty to be a part of our Jewish faith, we can never do so by absolutely shooing away and ignoring our commitment to Jewish law and its values and principles. We can't do anything that will compromise those values and principles. And she had no other plan in her back pocket through this time. It presented quite a conundrum for her. I put that on the other spectrum of one of my mentors in life, especially when it comes to preaching. His name is Joel Osteen. Anyone here ever hear of Joel Osteen? Anyone here ever watch him on Sundays? He is fantastic. First of all, he quotes the Old Testament nine out of ten times, and his sermons are mesmerizing. He's a brilliant speaker and captivating, and he has the largest church in North America, perhaps the world. It's called the Lakewood Church. And for those of you who don't know, it's in Houston, Texas, where everything is big, and His church holds, I think, 22,000 parishioners at a time, and he has 66,000 members, and they get 30,000 a week through multiple services, multiple times a day that come and pray. 
That's pretty good. <laughs> we, we can only hope for a fraction of that at some time. So the idea of where they meet in their church is an incredible thing. It's the old compact center. And for those of you who don't follow sports, you should know that's the old, uh, used to be called the old Omni, I believe. It's the old arena where the Houston Rockets used to play in Texas. And they moved to a new place like so many teams do. They build a new arena and they, they moved there and it laid empty. But you see, Osteen, as his church was growing, and it was growing because of who he was as a leader and what he was applying, he had found two plots of land that they were going to buy as a church and build on. And the first plot of land as he got to it they said it was zoned in a particular way that places of worship could not be built there, even though it was the perfect location for them to be, something our synagogue understands and knows. And he was devastated. But he said not to worry. He had his belief in God. And not two weeks later, another beautiful piece of property came up. And instead of him getting that piece of property of which they would build a brand new church that would accommodate all their needs in a growing community, someone came and outbid him for the property and took it from underneath his nose because the seller wanted to grab more money and wasn't allegiant to his promise to Osteen and to the leaders of the church. And Osteen literally was depressed. He was in a funk for two weeks until out of nowhere, the city leadership came to him with the idea of leasing to own and then purchasing the old compact center. What a crazy idea. Former basketball arenas tantamount to Madison Square Garden or the Prudential Center, turning into a church that's used 24 hours a day, seven days a week for all types of needs, not only on Sundays. There are services each and every day, morning masses and afternoon masses and gatherings and hope and inspiration, and you name your need, it's offered there. And this deal went through. And as he said, it's because of, in this case, Plan C that really came to fruition that allowed for him to have a dream that never would have been dreamt up before. And the even more beautiful part that adds significance and meaning to his life is that his wife, Victoria, who is critical to who he is as a pastor and who he is as a parent and who he is as a husband, because she has a very involved role in the church in which they lead, their very first date was at a basketball game in that very arena in 1995. So to him, he uses the phrase, bashert. It was meant to be even though it wasn't plan A and it wasn't even, in his case, plan B. Every day in life, we have roads that are less traveled. Some that don't take us on the path that our GPS had laid out for us. Because there's a lane closure, or because there's construction, because there's a police investigation, or because of a minor scratch on our knee. And it means we take a path that we were less prepared for, perhaps we thought about a little less. But oftentimes, it's that plan B that takes us to a place that develops our character, that strengthens the fabric of who we are, and makes us better understand the possibilities and the obstacles and having the strength to overcome them. That happens in our life. It happened with Abraham. As he looked forward to getting Canaan, he got up and he left to go to Egypt as he looked forward to creating this pseudo-alias responsibility for his wife, he realized it was the wrong plan, that honesty was a better match for him. For those who seek to align their destiny with the Jewish people but have no other alternative in one path in which to get there, sometimes don't realize the beauty that different roots and branches can take us. And for those who think that our dreams 
of having a particular plot of land for a church or for a home or a particular person for a spouse or a particular life or job or career is where everything of our future is beholden to and will end up with, don't realize that sometimes it's those plan Bs and Cs and even Ds that bring us to a greater place. Each of us realize that we learn in life from experiences and from mistakes, from the paths we took, the paths we wanted to take, but couldn't take. Steve Jobs said that the moment that shaped him the most in his life as a leader was not any of his inventions, but the moment when he lost his job from Apple, a plan B that he never expected or anticipated, but gave him the strength for all the other paths that he set out. It's no different for Steve than it was for Abraham, than it was for Joel Osteen, or it will be for my amazing mom. We only pray for her and for everyone else that it comes as we say in our tradition, Bisha'ah Tova, at the good hour, at the right hour, and that we can all understand and appreciate God's plan and our plan B. May it be for a blessing. Amen. Page 155.